In 2021, a passenger plane was grounded by two military jets in Minsk, the Belarusian capital. The story behind this event involves a remarkable woman with strong Irish links. This is Sveta. In May of 2021, this Ryanair passenger plane was forced to land in the capital of the Eastern European country, Belarus. It was an event that shocked both passengers on the plane and the international community alike. A plane load of commuters forced down from the sky by two military jets. Belarusian authorities claimed that there was a bomb on board, but this wasn't the cargo they were interested in. An outspoken journalist who had criticised the regime, and specifically the president, was unceremoniously removed from the plane. But it's the story behind this event which is inestimably more extraordinary, more disturbing, and in parts more inspiring. It involves a remarkable woman and takes us from Minsk to Vilnius and ultimately to a small town in the southern part of Ireland. That woman's name is Svetlana Chikanaskaya, and in order to understand who she is, you need to understand the story of another individual by the name of Alexander Lukashenko. He's been the president of Belarus for 27 years. And in order to understand him, you need to look at exactly what he was trying to say to the world with the grounding of this jet. In the days following the incident, Michael O'Leary, the vocal and colourful CEO of Ryanair, who was the carrier of the jet that day, made an appearance on an Irish radio show. I think it's the first time it's happened to a European airline, but I mean, this was a case of state-sponsored, it was a state-sponsored hijack, state-sponsored piracy. I think it was very frightening for the crew, for the passengers um, who were held under armed guard, had their bags searched. Um, when it was clear, it appears that the intent of the Russian authorities was to uh, remove a journalist and his travelling companion. Uh, and, you know, we believe there was also some uh, KGB agents offloaded off the aircraft as well. But it was the symbolic nature of what happened which was most important. Declan Power is a former army officer and a defence analyst. For a, 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 you know, a national authority to force down the airliner using military power, using military jets, it's not just the operational side of it, or indeed the element of risk when you deploy armed uh, fighter jets to coerce a civil airliner uh, but the two fingers effectively he was giving the international community and make no mistake about it that is exactly what he was doing he could have done this in a quieter way if you, he was being advised by uh, the clandestine services uh, departments of his, his national security or intelligence authorities they would probably have preferred to do this less in the light and the gentleman that was abducted uh, that's the only word that can be, can be used here, uh, could probably have been abducted much more easily uh, in some of the other territories, whether in Greece itself or that he was very much in line with Putin's thinking about how to handle these matters. So we have uh, Lukashenko since 1994. Tanya Reut is a Belarusian journalist. She's currently living in Ireland. Um, the election, the first presidential election of uh, 1994 after the collapse of the Soviet Union were the only fair election, I believe, and most of the um, politologists and people who, who follow the situation believe that that was the only election um, where Lukashenko fairly won the first time uh, in 1994. And uh, since then, he was just 
gripping power more and more. So what happened after 1994, um, and he kind of played a lot back then to give you to give you an overview on the um, Soviet sentiment a lot. It was a very tough time, as you might know, also in Russia. For the people at the time, for the people in the villages, they felt that that's, that doesn't respond, that didn't respond to their uh, needs, which was very simple to buy food, to 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 be able to um, to work, and democratic values were not on the on they were not a priority for people back then, which is very different today, I'd say. As soon as Lukashenko grabbed power, he held onto it with an iron grip. Opposition was simply not tolerated. After Lukashenko gained power, he tried to push his agenda and a lot of his initiatives were not going through. The parliament was rejecting it, so he felt that he cannot be the only man deciding, though that was what he wanted. So he uh, pushed, uh, initiated a referendum when one of the things was to to, to reduce the, the separation of powers and to give more uh, responsibility and authority to the president. And that passed. People voted uh, for it. Though a few high-position politicians, including the president of the Central Election Committee uh, Commission, uh, he was against it and actively against it. And a few people in the parliament were also protesting and they went on a hunger strike. And um, in the end, all of it didn't work. In fact, the president of this uh, election commission, in uh, a few years later, he disappeared and he's considered um killed by the government of Lukashenko in 1999, uh, Viktor Ganchar disappeared along with a, with a, a former minister of defense and uh, a few other politicians. As 2020 dawned, a routine election was on the horizon for Alexander Lukashenko. He was, of course, expected to stomp home with almost no opposition. However, what happened shook the country to its core. And this is where Svetlana Tikhanovskaya comes into the story. She didn't know it yet, but she was about to become the most unlikely thorn in the side of Lukashenko. My first couple of meetings with Svetlana are over Zoom from her office, not in Belarus, but in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius. And the reason for this will become clear in a minute. We start chatting and she tells me about a loving childhood in a small town in Belarus. I have wonderful family, mother, father and sister and uh, family where love prevailed. I was, you know, my parents took uh, great care of children and grandparents are, were wonderful. You know, I, my life, my childhood was full of uh, love and tender from uh, my parents. And I, you know, really, uh, so as I was in small city, we, um, I didn't see the world. I just didn't have uh, much understanding what's going on. Uh, uh, out of borders of, of uh, my country, of uh, my city. However, it was the most tragic of incidents that joined Svetlana at the hip with a small town. But this town most certainly was not in Belarus. There has been a nuclear accident in the Soviet Union and the Soviets have admitted that it happened. The Soviet version is this. One of the atomic reactors at the Chernobyl atomic power plant near the city of Kiev was damaged. And there is speculation in Moscow that people were injured and may have died. The Soviets may have been fairly quick to acknowledge the... On Saturday, the 26th of April, 1986, reactor number four inside the Chernobyl nuclear plant exploded. It dumped radioactive detritus into the surrounding area, which caused mass death, possibly as many as 16,000 Europe-wide, and left untold long-term health consequences for those within the zone that was affected. Children took the brunt of it, and the Irish response was aimed at them, 
A number of charities rushed to their aid, taking them into their homes for summers, feeding them, loving them, looking after them. Many of these Belarusian children were just babies or not even born when the world's worst nuclear disaster at Chernobyl destroyed most of their country and would continue to affect their young lives. They live with the effects of radiation every day. Many have cancer or have had intensive surgery to prolong their lives. Aged between 6 and 12, they come from orphanages, hospitals and refugee centres. And doctors reckon that a month spent in a clean and healthy environment will add two years to their lives. One of those families was the Deans in Ross Cray, County Tipperary. Henry and Marion, to be precise. They took in a number of children in the 1990s and there was one slightly older one who stood out. She came to them for summers, looked after the younger kids, translated for them, went to the dentist with them, shopped in pennies with them, and ate bizarre and wonderful food with them, like potato salad. Henry and Marion fell in love with her, and they simply called her Sveta. I was awarded with a first trip to Ireland because I was a pupil with excellent marks. Just And I was already 14 when I visited Ireland for the first time. It's rather, uh, it's rather a high age because people, it's, uh, this program started uh, when I was, I don't know, uh, eight, nine years old. So I, I was waiting for my turn. But of course, I was really uh, fascinated by this opportunity to visit other country. Uh, at that time, we didn't have internet. What I knew about Ireland is only that this is Ireland uh, on a map. Didn't know anything about uh, about people, about uh, landscapes, nothing. And this was my first flight on the plane. You know, it was. Uh, <laughs> I was very happy to go there, and I was lucky that. Um, the host family was a uh, family of uh, Henry Dean. He was the chairman of the organization Chernobyl Lifeline. And I spent a wonderful month in another country. I was lucky to speak English a little bit, and I had the opportunity to communicate. Uh, and I helped uh, smaller children to communicate with their families. You know, I just wanted to be useful. And according to the deans, she was definitely that. They haven't seen each other in 18 years, and in adult life, Svetlana certainly wasn't considering politics as a career. It was, in fact, Svetlana's husband, Sergei, who, having previously also stayed out of politics, became increasingly vocal about the regime, using social media as a vehicle for his opinions. I wasn't involved in politics. I had opinions on different ways how it's going on in Belarus. But no, absolutely, I wasn't political. I was uh, politically involved uh, till last uh, spring. But as people inevitably became more educated about their own country, the climate of fear still prevailed. And what they were learning from the internet, for example, was spoken about only carefully and behind closed doors. Step by step started to change our mind, to realise more deeply that, you know, situation in Belarus is, 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 is not good. Dictatorship and... But still, people were talking about this in their kitchens. It was always a floor of, 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 uh, of fear. 
Svetlana's husband was now outwardly speaking against the regime and he was beginning to blip on its radar. Of course I was worrying about him because I understood that he's too vocal, too vocal for this regime. Other, pe yeah, other people started to look at him and also started to be vocal. And this is where social media becomes such a crucial part of what was about to occur. He opened a YouTube channel. Initially this channel was about small business, asking why it was so difficult to start one in Belarus. And from businesses, it moved more into politics. And this was not appreciated. He started to communicate to politicians, uh, you know, asking uh, unconvenient questions. Uh, and uh, after a year and a half, uh, he started his YouTube channel. He was jailed for the first time. And it happened in uh, at the end of December uh, 20, 2019 before New Year Eve, and uh, he was jailed for 15 days. Uh, I, I think that he was driving his car when he was stopped by police, and he was just, like, you know, kidnapped. And it was the first New Year uh, that I spent without him uh, and my children also. Maybe regime thought that he will be silent, silenced as if they frightened him, but he started even to be more vocal. As opposed to being silenced, Sergei bought a trailer and embarked on a tour of Belarus. And Sergei talked to people, asked about real pro problems, how to solve them, how, to, how do you see you can be, uh, you, your, uh, your business can develop. You know, started to talk to simple people. Simple people. This point that Sergei decided to go one step further and take on Alexander Lukashenko head-to-head. -head. It was wonderful, and people started to uh, advise Sergei, you know, this year we have a presidential election. We want you to be candidate. And uh, he uh, shot a video, uh, a video uh, about his intention to become candidate, and he was jailed. I am Sergei Tikhanovsky, Belarusian entrepreneur and blogger, I thought, look, it's, you know, my husband is important to me and I want him to feel that everything he's doing is important for me as well. And this was the moment of the start of the unlikely political career of Svetlana Tchekanovskaya. And I decided I will do my documents and bring to election commission instead of my husband. I was sure that they will not accept them, but uh, they uh, wanted to make love of me and accepted my documents. And in this very day, they released him. Svetlana is convinced to this day that they accepted her application to become a presidential candidate to make a laugh of her. You know, they just, okay, go, we will see, we will laugh at you. And they just so much lost connection with people of Belarus. And when um, they released my husband, and my husband, instead of me, started to come from one city to another to collect the signatures for me. And uh, authorities saw huge queues of people who want to put the signatures, thousands of people. We have never seen such picture in the history of uh, Belarus. And they, again, uh, became scared and put my husband into jail uh, on the 29th of May. Till now, he's in jail. And I was, of course, I was shocked. Svetlana at this point was preoccupied with Sergei's welfare in jail, but noticed that without her, 
or her husband at the helm of the campaign, something else had started to happen. People started to act themselves. I wasn't at any picket, at any rally for collecting signatures. Uh, people did everything themselves. And I didn't have, like, I, I couldn't betray people who were in huge queues for hours were standing to put the signatures and I decided to uh, continue. Uh, this campaign, uh, despite uh, my husband was in jail. Momentum gathered, rallies and pickets swelled to huge numbers and ordinary Belarusians were finally coming out of their kitchens and standing together in public. First time for many, many years we had opportunity to look into each other's eyes, to understand that, look, I'm not alone who is discussing this regime on the kitchen. There, There are thousands of us. Thousands of people Thursday evening in Minsk. They came out to support Svetlana Zikhanovskaya, the presidential candidate who is challenging the authoritarian rule of Alexander Lukashenko. We need change in this country. There is no other solution. The day of the vote arrived and observers were allocated to polling stations to check on the reality of what was happening for fear that a spurious victory would be claimed afterwards. People who intended to vote for Svetlana were asked to wear a subtle symbol when they turned up at polling stations to provide, in effect, another way to count votes on top of the official one. What we did, we asked everybody who will come to vote for Tikhanovskaya to wear white bracelet. Just simple to understand why you came for this, uh, to this uh, uh, polling station. Belarus watched agog as this young woman turned up to vote, standing squarely against the regime of Alexander Lukashenko. A picture began to emerge as early tallies, or protocols as they're called, came in. Svetlana was winning. And when we saw the first protocol where I won, not Lukashenko, you know, people were so inspired because through all our uh, pre-election campaign, we talked to people, say the truth, who uh, got, uh, who got, you know, put correct numbers. Now an element of panic started in the Lukashenko camp. People turning up at stations were refused ballot papers. Voting finally closed, and lo and behold, the Electoral Commission announced the result in inverted commas, and apparently Alexander Lukashenko had won with 80% of the vote. Already in the, in the evening uh, when uh, the leader of uh, Central, Central Election Commission declared that Lukashenko got 80%, though we had improvements that it's, it's impossible, people started to go out to the streets just to uh, defend their votes, absolutely peacefully. Uh, you know, just going out to show that we are against fraudulent elections. And then hell started. Chaos, outrage, and a demand for change unfolding right now on the streets of Belarus. Thousands of demonstrators marching through the capital city of Minsk today, calling for a fair election and deeming last week's vote totally rigged. Over the last week, officials say nearly 7,000 people... The severity of the response from the regime shocked even those who had lived under it for decades. Regime brought to the streets uh, a lot of uh, policemen, riot policemen, and these special uh, groups of, of uh, army, and they started to shoot people. And uh, 
many, many men and women started to be detained. And they were so harshly beaten uh, in the prisons. We have videos and evidences of those. It were three days of hell. World. And as you mentioned, thousands of people have already been arrested and a lot of those people have been beaten while they were in detention. There were people who came to us and told us about torture while they were in detention, uh, beatings, people being crammed into cells, put into stress positions, women being forced to strip, being forced to kneel on the ground, and then some of these protesters actually being paraded on state TV. So a lot of people extremely angry. It was su such a shock for Belarusians because we couldn't even imagine that in three days, uh, you know, three days it was continuing. People went out every evening. Uh, people from factories started to go out from the enterprises. And just regime wanted, as usual, to beat everybody. And they were sure that people will silence again, as it happened before. But this did not happen. Some of the early protesters who were picked up began to be released on day three of this chaos. And those who witnessed them disturbingly noted they were a different colour. And we saw blue people, blue of bruises, blue of, uh, of, of these beatings. And again, it, it was such a shock. Many people were in hospitals. Uh, many people had to uh, emergent, emergently flee the country to Czech Republic. They, very, they erected very fast and organized this humanitarian corridor to uh, bring badly injured people to Czech Republic. You know, such a mess started. Lukashenko was now under serious pressure. He went to a tractor factory to reinforce his victory and reassert his authority in public, expecting the usual falsified adulation from a frightened public. A BBC news crew captured the reality of what happened. This was the day the workers turned on Alexander Lukashenko. Thousands downing tools and marching to a tractor factory. While the strikers rallied outside, Belarus's beleaguered president arrived by helicopter to address those who'd stayed at work. He was no doubt hoping for a friendly crowd. What he got was a public relations disaster. The day after the election, Svetlana filed a petition at the Electoral Commission offices to have the vote declared invalid. Whilst there, she was met by two high-ranking members of the security services, and it's then when she began to think that even she shouldn't stay in Belarus. They uh, were threatening me with my safeness, with my children, and they told, you have to choose now. Uh, or uh, we will send you in prison and your children will be put in orphanage. It was very, you know, breaking moment because I was ready to stop. You know, they know where to push on your children. And uh, so on the, my, my children were all, already in Lithuania with their grandmother. And uh, on the 10th of August, you know, those people told me, uh, you have to choose, you go to prison and you will not see your children next 15 years and uh, or uh, you will let you go to your children and you know 
Just, I, I chose uh, to go to, to my children. I knew that my husband is in jail. If I go to jail, so my, who will bring up my children? As the days of horror unfurled, Svetlana now had to witness events from Lithuania. She remains there. Her husband remains in prison. Meanwhile, the regime continued to search for and imprison those who have dared to speak up against them. But there is a somewhat heart-gladdening twist to the story. You'll remember that in the wake of the Chernobyl disaster, Svetlana spent her summers in Ross Cray, County Tipperary. By complete coincidence during one of the interviews from Vilnius, Svetlana tells me that she's coming to Arden for the first time in 18 years. The state has invited her and she'll do the usual rounds of meetings with politicians, ministers, presidents. But when I finally meet her in person in a hotel in Dublin, this fiercely intelligent, yet, if I might say, kind and gentle soul, is really only excited about one encounter. You know, first of all, of course, I came here to uh, have political meetings to speak about Belarus, about the situation with political prisoners and tortures in our country and uh, with Ryanair case about uh, uh, other things. But, of course, this uh, visit is very um, particular because I'm going to visit uh, my, how to say, second family in Roscree. Who is this person that you're going to see and what does, what does he mean to you? Henry Dean is, uh, and his family is uh, the family that hosted me uh, as uh, children, as a child from Chernobyl zone uh, in uh, 1996, uh, first time. And, uh, you know, this was my first visit to other country. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> this family means a lot to me because uh, since then we have been communicating a lot and we didn't lose our connection for rages. And uh, I'm really, I'm so glad that I again uh, had this opportunity to uh, visit Roscree and I'm sure we'll go to Noktjegana Hill, uh, the place of uh, happiness, place of freedom, uh, place of my memories. I remember uh, happy people around. I remember kindness of uh, hosting families and other people who, uh, other families that brought other children. Uh, I remember that um, all those families uh, did everything to make us a little bit happier than we uh, were. And... Uh, you know, every day was uh, full of joy, full of uh, tasty food, egg salad, potato salad, your wonderful sandwiches, and uh, everything was made with love. You know, on the hand, one hand, it's rather pity that uh, I, I'm visiting Ireland because of uh, uh, mm, this uh, violence in my, in my country this uh, f during this fight but you know this of course this uh, regret is uh, is mixing with uh, with happiness i'm allowed to gate crash the reunion the next day and i agree to clear off quickly so they can have their time together i arrive early and a small group of other journalists have got wind of it Marion Dean plies us with biscuits and tea, and as I chat with Henry and Marion, I now am also feeling the utter love of this home. She was very kind and caring 
person. Um, with Svetlana, there was no act, there was no show. She was what she seemed to be. Um, and as time went on, that proved to be even more true. Any children that were homesick or um, lonely or anything like that, she took them under her wing, they came here, she spoke to them and she made them feel better. You know, maybe if somebody was nervous of going to the dentist, she went with them, helped them out. Um, she was always helping other people. And, you know, she was full of fun as well and full of joy. She was just a very, very special person. The light that's inside her was a kind of shining through even then. You know, it didn't change. It wasn't a pretense. It was the real Svetlana, or Svet as we call her. She is a political person now, but when I look at her, I see beyond that, the Svetlana that came. You know, you can still you can still glimpse that. You can still get that. And you know, she she would make a great leader. She she will make a great leader. But she has no interest. Her interest is in her children. Her interest is in her children. And she's doing this for the people of Belarus because it's their only hope. You know, Lukashenko, I mean, he's capable of anything. And he is, I mean, when the rights were on, when the Pindy marched, and they're a very peaceful people, Belarusian people, and when they marched, when they were taken into custody, the, the men were raped, they were beaten, they were tortured. Horrific stuff went on. Horrific stuff is still going on inside those jails in Belarus where they have the political prisoners. No family, no visitors are allowed. You know, and all this has got to stop. It just has to stop. And this man has to go, you know? Do, do you worry for her? I terrified. I am absolutely terrified. I have to say, when I saw that, that last interview she gave before she left Belarus, I was so, so frightened. оказаться перед таким выбором, перед которым оказалась я. Поэтому люди, берегите себя, пожалуйста. Не одна жизнь. She left for her children's safety. That's the reason she left. You know, she feels she should be in Belarus. But she can't be, because if she goes to Belarus, they, they will kill her. They will. She was, she was full of, of, of questions, uh, particularly her favorite group was the Mamas and Papas in the 60s. Uh, my favorite group at the time, you know, having grown up in the 60s. So um, she would ask questions about that, what's meant by the lyrics and things like that. And she loved it. You know, it was always all new and exciting to her. 
just there last week on the phone to her team. I heard her telling her team uh, to make sure you have 99s when you get to Ireland. The cones with the chocolate flake <laughs> in them <laughs> made all the difference in the world. Yeah. yeah. So it's an exciting moment for you both. Oh, absolutely. Yes, very. Uh, very, yeah. We get a call. Svetlana is about to arrive. She turns up in an entourage of blacked-out cars, a heavily armed security detail made up of Lithuanian police and Irish special branch around her. Svetlana's carrying flowers. She walks up to Marion Dean, who, quite frankly, grabs her. Before I clear off, I get a final word with Svetlana. Marion told me just before you arrived that I asked her how she felt. She said it felt like a daughter coming home. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm glad that Marion uh, says so, but I have to say that this wonderful family has uh, a lot of daughters and sons uh, in Belarus. Welcome home. The regime of Alexander Lukashenko at this point is a crisis, and of all things, the Ryanair incident appears to have focused many people who weren't aware of it heretofore. The international response to the Lukashenko regime has been criticised for being too soft, but the will seems to be there. When we speak to the Irish Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, he does not hold back. For me, you know, Svetlana has been the, the person that many have rallied around in the context of trying to bring about uh, democratic change uh, in Belarus, uh, to run a country that is based on democracy and transparency and openness as opposed to dictatorship, which is what it currently is. Um, and I think the, the, the presidential elections, when, when Lukashenko got re-elected in a fraudulent election, and the story of Svetlana and her husband in many ways reinforces in everybody's mind just how corrupt this regime is um, when effectively her husband was imprisoned and prevented from running uh, in the election uh, and then she effectively took his place. Um, someone who was totally new to politics but simply wanted her country to progress and felt she needed to do that along with some other very brave women, by the way. She wasn't the only one. I've been very vocal on Belarus um, at a political level. I continue to be, and I will continue to be as well. 
Um, but um, but we'll continue to work with her and her team uh, to um, to try to bring about the change that she's been working for as in many ways as a reluctant political leader. There's the question of what a bloc like the European Union can really do with a dictator right on its borders and whether imposing sanctions on him will really ever be enough to generate the pressure necessary. When you are trying to gain traction politically in the face of a dictator, uh, in the face of intimidation, uh, uh, violence, uh, uh, you know, imprisonment without trial, uh, I mean, there are many political prisoners in Belarus. In many ways, Lukashenko is Europe's last dictator. There are many, many very brave people in Belarus who need to know that there is a global community supporting them, not to force regime change, but to actually have democratic elections that allow Belarusian people and a majority of them to choose the kind of political leadership that they're looking for. That's that's what this is about. And I hope that President Lukashenko uh, we'll, we'll see the reality of that and, and how much damage he's doing to the reputation of his country and ultimately the prospects for his own people. A central diplomatic question is whether Alexander Lukashenko is becoming a liability not only to his enemies, but to his friends. And other allies of, of Lukashenko, like Moscow, for example, uh, I think will be calculating over time uh, whether or not their support for the regime in Belarus is actually costing too much. Um, Lukashenko is an expensive ally to have now. He's costing a lot. And I think the opposition, quite frankly, who are putting their lives at risk in many cases, and that of their families, uh, in the case of Svetlana, um, uh, they need to see that the EU is serious also uh, in terms of supporting the change that they're working for. Over 600 people in Belarusian jails are considered political prisoners, and that number grows as we speak. Opposition leaders are being summarily picked up and incarcerated, and protesters are dying in unlikely suicides. Ultimately, though, the real tragedy here is that so, so many people in Belarus are going to go to bed tonight without their mums, their sisters, their brothers, their sons and their dads, just like the children of Sergei and Svetlana. Sergei, along with thousands of others, remains in jail. He's been there for 15 months now for doing nothing more than speaking out against the regime of Alexander Lukashenko. But Sveta, as she's known in Roskray, is confident that her children know exactly who their dad is and what he's done. They know where his uh, daddy, their daddy is and uh, they consider him a hero. And this is what they have to remember about this period. Their father is a fighter and a hero of Belarus. Sveta was narrated and produced by Donald O'Hurley. Sound supervision was by Patrick Harney. And from the Dock and One, thanks for listening. <laughs>